The Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Minicom Show featuring Lenny, only NFL podcast, one of the hosts. Thinks a Husky could beat a Wolverine in a fight. That's Lenny. I wouldn't go that far, even though I will take them in the uh, upcoming national championship. Ollie, do you, do you watch college football at all? Oh, yeah. College football is like my Sopranos. I just watch Coastal Carolina tape on a Friday night. It's like The Wire, Breaking Bad. I just watch Michael Penix do Michael Penix things. That's my fun time. Well, speaking of Coastal Carolina, that's such a great setup. You have no idea, but we have um, Isaiah Likely, uh, Baltimore Ravens tight end, uh, is on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash atmeanakimes. Got to ask him a few questions about scramble drills with Lamar, why Leak is the best play in football, that sort of thing. Uh, go check it out. You can check out this podcast is there as, there as well. But if you're listening to this right now uh, in an audio format, don't turn it off because Ali and I are here to preview Week 18, we're doing something a little bit different. I, I started picking games, and then I was like, I can't bring myself to do a full Jags-Titans preview. I can't do it. Uh, there are two games that are, like, legit games uh, where both teams have all their starters in, incentive to win. They're both teams. There's something big to play for. We will talk about those games. And then, Ollie, we're going to kind of lightning round through some of the other games because there are other games that are meaningful for one team, less so for the other, although there's the opportunity to play spoiler. I think the Bears would love nothing more than to spoil things for the Packers in the same way the Lions did last year for the pack for the Packers. Now that I remember it. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, did you see the list that Schefter sent out of all the backup quarterbacks starting in week 18? I did not, but I imagine it is lengthy and sad. It is, well, you know, there's a little bit of a Tyrod in there, Mason Rudolph not playing so bad, but it is a lot of it, it's actually there was there was one that kind of struck me. Um, the Rams and the Niners both are in the playoffs. Niners are locked in. The Rams are not locked into a seed and, and they're not starting Stafford. We are getting Carson Wentz. So it struck me because it's, it's very funny that it's going to be Carson Wentz, but Ollie, uh, before we get to yeah the games and whatnot, I actually was kind of like thinking through like uh, the Rams should probably try to win because if they're the sixth seed, it's likely they'll play Detroit, whereas if there's a seven seed, because of the colossal screw up by the officiators, officiators, officiants, uh, they're going to play Dallas at home. Don't you, but but they're playing Darnold with the Niners, so it's, it's very difficult to kind of game theory out all of these things. But like, don't you think if if you're a, a Rams fan, wouldn't you rather have Detroit than Dallas at home? I think I would. I Choosing to go to Dallas is very confusing. It does just scream of, it seems like, well, the whole organization is just pretty obsessive about rest, right? It's like a huge yes. thing for them is rest and recovery. And they were at the forefront of resting guys in preseason and resting guys mm -hmm. for full of preseason. So it seems like they just want to be as healthy as possible, no matter who it is. And maybe they're just banking on the Dallas of it all in the playoffs. And that's just like on the org chart Fair. is, okay, we've got all these things played out, but we also have Mike McCarthy in the playoffs. Let's maybe put that on the board as well. Um, rather than Dan Campbell. I'm not sure. I mean, I would rather play Detroit. Uh, I'm slightly confused by the reasoning. Yeah. I think the rest thing is probably it. And, you know, we're going to talk about the dolphins and who just incurred a brutal injury in a meaningless uh, portion of their last game. And you see that kind of thing and, and it makes sense to you, especially given Stafford's recent injury history, probably no need to press it. So 
it, it, it makes sense. I just, I'll just be curious to see how it plays out. Maybe they don't want Stafford going back. Maybe uh, the revenging. It's not a revenge game. It's a revenge game for I, more Detroit more than anything because he wanted out of Detroit, although it doesn't seem like there's bad blood there. Um, in any case, I thought that was interesting. We're not going to talk. We're not going to break down that game, although I am very curious to see both Carson Wentz and Sam Darnold playing for Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan. It is quite funny. Uh, uh, I'm excited because, you know, I've been banging the drum for Matthew Stafford being involved in the MVP conversation somewhere. If we did the award properly for someone who is valuable above a league replacement player, I think Stafford's season would be right there. So we will see if I have any credence to my argument or not based on how Carson plays. Yeah, well, and that'll also depend on like who else is playing in that game. I haven't seen like if the Rams sit other people and the Niners do as well. We, the quarterbacks might not really get the same sort of shot. Uh, it'll be interesting. Um, the, the, not one of the games we're breaking down. We are going to break start by breaking down Dolphins Bills, and then the other game is uh, the the Texans and the Colts. The Colts and the Texans, um, both. Extremely meaningful games. We'll start with Miami and Buffalo. This is for the division. It's kind of what we had hoped it would be. Although, um, well, first let me let me establish the stakes. The Dolphins are already in the playoffs. If they win this, they win the division. If they lose, they'll drop down to six. Um, now, for Buffalo, it's actually kind of insane, right? Like, because you, I'm sure you've seen all the scenarios. They can win and they're in if they uh, don't win, then in order to make it to the playoffs, they would need either the Steelers to lose to the Ravens, who have nothing to play for, or the Jags to lose to the Titans. So there, there's a potential in which they lose this game and they're out altogether. And then there's a potential for them to win the whole thing. So it's uh, safe to say they will be playing very hard. I, I think when I hit you up about, I'm like, I was like, oh, I hope that I, I think I contacted you a while ago and I was like, let's hope week 18 yeah. is everything we hoped it would be. And in a way it is. But as I was preparing for this matchup, and I'm not saying it's uh, hopeless, I don't think it's hopeless. But let's start here, Ollie. Boy, these Dolphins injuries on defense are brutal. Yeah. Brutal. No Xavier Howard in this game. Bradley Chubb out for the season, already lost Jalen Phillips, Jerome Baker. I mean, it's just, they are truly up against it on that side of the ball. Yeah, the timing is really brutal, and it throws off, obviously, everything that Vic Fangio would want to do. They had the best four-man pass rush in the league by a decent distance for the last two months minimum, probably even beyond that. And so it, it leaves Vic Fangio in this funny spot of, do I just run my traditional defense that everyone everywhere I've ever been, and it's now cresting and peaking at the right time? Or do I kind of throw everything out, run something new and unorthodox that maybe the Bills haven't prefer, prepared for to try and throw off Brady, throw off Josh Allen, maybe throw something different out there? I, I really don't know quite how he's supposed to prepare for it. And then for the Bills, they're in a really uncomfortable dynamic on offense too because yeah. the, what they would want to run to attack a traditional Vic Fangio defense is not what they've been best at recently and then it's like well if Vic's going to run something brand new anyway what do we do so I'm really interested just to see how yeah. both staffs approach it I, I started from once I like kind of looked at the injuries I, I was thinking to myself hmm I'll I, I, this is and, and this was coming off of I first thing I did was I looked at what happened the last time these teams played different players on the field, very different, different offensive coordinator. Jalen Ramsey wasn't in the game, but the Bills shellacked them offensively. It was a, it was domination. Allen had a perfect passer rating. They beat them 48 to 20. Um, 
Wow, and Lamar just did. Hmm. Anyways, uh, Allen absolutely shredded the blitz in this game. They used a ton of play action. Stephon Diggs caught six passes for 120 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, at this point, he, he was, he's the gem of my fantasy team. I'm thinking I'm going to win it all. Uh, not so not so much, uh, which leads me to my, I think, starting point. In it, and, I, and it's a bit of a confusing one. I think you look back at that and then you think, okay, you, you got all these injuries on defense, but you have Jalen Ramsey who looks really good right now, who's playing really, really good football. Do you put him on Stephon Diggs? Do you travel him around? Do you make them beat you another way? That would have been the question in week four. And I think it would have been something you and I could spend a lot of time just debating and discussing. But then Stephon Diggs hasn't been a factor in this offense. And it's not like this. I'm kind of ready to say it's a thing. It's not just like, oh, he was kind of quiet last week and they didn't look his way or it was a run heavy game script against Dallas. Like, whatever's going on with whatever it's like his, you know, um, is he not getting the same separation is the structure of the Joe Brady offense kind of minimizing him in some way. He has not been the focal point of this unit. So I don't know if for Vic and for Miami, you want to ask Jalen Ramsey to do that. Like, what do you think about that key question? Yeah, I, I would not make my game plan, Stefan Diggs, depend. I don't think that what Joe Brady is doing requires that of you. They've become really condensed. It's all about this newfangled run game. I, I'm astonished by how much he's been able to overhaul in such a short amount of time. It is a completely different offense. There's almost no point in going back and rewatching the film yeah. from what was a week four when they, they played the first time around. It's now also dependent on what is the initial run action. What we run off that? What is the RPO? What is the play action built off that? What is our dropback game built off that? And so that is all really packed in and condensed. And I think that's having some limiting factor on digs. Also, their timing has just been really brutal. I think it's a it's a factor of just saying, hey, we're running a new offense now. The, the, the timing isn't going to be there right away, but we have an alien, a quarterback, so we can figure it out every once in a while. And for Joe Brady, he's left with this dilemma, which is, Running that style against what Vic Fangio does is by no means ideal. It's probably what Vic would want you to run, and it gives him a pseudo cop-out of saying, I can just run my traditional defense. It doesn't really matter where Stefan Diggs is. We're going to disguise a bunch, two and rotate, and we'll have numbers anyway, depending on where Diggs is on, is on the field. And to attack that, what you want to do is get as spread as possible, five-man protection, get empty as much as possible. You've got Josh Allen, so you really have a sixth guy in there, right? He can make free runners miss and all that stuff and make them define themselves pre-snap and make it really difficult for them to rotate and move. And by doing that, you would leave the guys, the backups yeah. on islands, and you could try and pick them off that way and then let Allen create some magic where he needs to. But that would be throwing out the stuff that has worked for you since you've become the offensive coordinator for one week and you leave yourself maybe in a similar situation to they had in the playoffs last year, particularly if Vic throws a change up and it's a different style of defense where you get boom or bust and we get the worst of Allen, which is one disaster play, two heroic plays, one disaster play. And I just don't think that's a, that's a recipe for them to have sustained success. Yeah. I think um, it's interesting because there's kind of two things at play here in some ways. What you said about, the Fangio defense and what we what we know uh, the structure of it, right? And what we've seen until the, all these injuries over the course of the season, although I guess you know continually, but um, it does make sense for like you can see how the Bills would want to spread it out, and um, it's at one point was their very much their identity. On the other hand, I kind of think the Joe Brady offense, which you described at the beginning, what we've seen lately. Um, 
will also have success just because of the injury. I mean, I, I was thinking about this, Ollie, like watching Baltimore and how they just, you know, went, they, they hunted the replacements. They killed yeah. them with play action, obviously um, had success running into light boxes. Buffalo can kind of do all those things now. And it's funny because uh, I think we think of that offense as having very different DNA, but it's not, they're not the same by any means, but this iteration of the bills offense is a hell of a lot more similar <laughs> to yep. what we just saw Baltimore do to Miami. And frankly, I kind of think Buffalo can just do the same thing. I think uh, even conceptually, like some of the, concepts that they ran and even the use of motion the way they were forcing miscommunication i mean it's already a complicated defense but when you throw in all these backups it's how you you got all those coverage busts in that game it was an incredible performance from lamar and don't get me wrong but guys were open against miami and i i just think the bills can um they can win through uh, Knox and Kincaid. They can win throwing to James Cook. They can win with Josh Allen's legs. To go back to my original question, I don't think it matters if Stephon Diggs has a huge game against this iteration of the Dolphins defense. No, I think the two things, the two questions you'd have for yourself and in, in how you want to approach it is, if you're getting to more of an empty spread out structure anyway, you'd want to do it through movement. Right. So you want to start condense as they have done, similar to what the Ravens did. I mean, Todd Munkin, it was funny. He was using the Dolphins' own offensive plays against yeah. them. I can't imagine Zay, how much he was cackling like, and he was just using yeah. them over and over again. Tons of busts. So you want to start condense, then spread out pre snap, and you force just an automatic check. And Vic Fangio's checks are legendary. You know, anyone on the street at this point can call off what they are. So you will know what they'll be lined up in at the snaps. You're just saying, can we isolate? Kincaid, Diggs, Shakir, who's been unbelievable for the last three games. We just think our guys can win one-on-one because we know what they're running and we know where, what's going to be open. That's one approach. Or do you say they've got a bunch of backups? Let's really muddy the field up. Let's get condensed. Let's force them to communicate at the snap. And these guys won't be able to keep up with it because they've not had the time to communicate. They've not had live reps. And you can mix and match those. I think it's just picking one early on to get Alan comfortable because I think when he gets tight is when he's playing against a splash offense on the other side of the ball. And they can go up the field in two, three plays. And he starts thinking, mm. I've got to press. I've got to force yeah. it. I have to win the game. You know, he goes into hero mode and it's, I've got to win the game with every single throw. Whereas when he's playing these sustained drive offenses and they can play in their own rhythm, I actually think the Bills are usually in a better spot. That's a great point about Allen. And that feels like mm, this is such an obvious thing to say when we're talking about an undermanned unit versus a very good quarterback and especially one like Josh Allen but it really to me comes down to whether he beats himself and they turn him over whether we get one of those goofball performances yeah. that he throws I mean it, 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 it like I said it's a cliche but in his case it's very true and it's very true in this game when you look at the matchups and frankly looking at how he played last week it took me a second to get to that game um yeah he was really bad <laughs> the first half uh, against New England. And, um, you know, I, I think he has sort of, I, I think the world of him, I think uh, he was very much in the MVP conversation. There, he has had as high highs of any quarterback this season. But, you know, there every now and then he has games or halves or series where he either makes poor decisions in terms of just kind of trying to fit balls into places that he should not, 
or um, has a kind of bouts of has misses here and there. And you saw that against New England. And I think if Miami happens to get one of those games, the defense does have a good shot. I, I think I'll just be curious to see if Fangio, knowing the limitations they have on that side of the ball, mixes it up a little bit because um, we have seen him over the years with some of his defenses in Denver, for example, when he doesn't have an elite four man rush, he will blitz more. He will um, sort of change some of his tendencies and coverage as well. And I think you're probably going to have to do that against the bills. Although again, maybe you just play your, your style and hope that Allen makes a mistake. If you force him to matriculate his way up and down the field, it's, 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 this is a real test for the play caller. Um, yeah. Compared uh, to last year in the playoff game against Allen, by the way, wow. What a benchmark when yeah, Josh well, Boyer just went YOLO. Yeah. That, and Allen is the most fascinating guy. These guys scheme against, I think, because he's the, he's probably the most talented player ever, possibly along with Brett Favre. And I know that, that comparison gets made a lot where you can see DCs think about the mentality of it more than the mm -hmm. schematics of it. Of their like, I think he'll just give us a chance. We'll do something we know is wrong, and we know it's going to leave something open that he will probably hit, and he should hit because he's talented. But I think he'll give us a chance. Let's run it three times, and that was Boy's entire game plan. It was a mental thing. It's like I'm just going to bring the house every time, and I bet that he gets so excited that three times in the game he'll give us the ball. Um, and so Fanjo doesn't really have that kind of sensibility. Maybe he wants to bring more pressure, but I mean they they pressure a decent bunch anyway, and they pressure with sims and with creepers and all the creative stuff and they're kind of uh everyone's moving at all times raven style defense these days even though they, they only wind up sending four in the numbers it's you know more creative than that uh when you watch it alan is just so unconscious he i don't think he cares about any of those moving parts it is still a little bit see it throw it which is why the rhythm can get clunky for them i would be all in favor of just adopting the boyer plan for a week and saying let's have fun let's get after him if it goes awfully wrong he'll do what he did to new england one year and go up the field and have a perfect game and we'll change it at halftime if we have to i think i don't i i okay i feel like i can't predict project predict what alan we're gonna get <laughs> uh i do think however i know what joe brady we're going to get I think we're going to get the offense that you and I have been talking about. I, I do think there will be a lot of similarities to what we saw from Baltimore. I think James Cook is going to get a lot of targets in this game. I think we're going to see a lot of QB draw in this game. I think that Brady is going to try to uh, have a controlled performance on offense with Allen. And I think the, the question mark and what will probably determine the success is everything we've been talking about, whether or not he sort of colors inside the lines or when he colors outside the lines, whether it works, because that's the thing about Josh Allen. Like the reason he takes all these risks is because a lot of times it actually does work. Yeah, amazing. he's incredible. And the thing with Joe Brady that I struggle with is, you know, I admire some of the play calling. I admire some of the innovation, but he is a big time ego play caller. He wants to hmm. win. And have you talk about on TV that Joe Brady was the reason for the win. So whatever the offense that's been working that is Joe Brady branded, I do think is what we get. I just don't know if it's best practice against this, this defense. And he's been guilty of that in the past. It's got him in trouble before. It's why he you know, will often have these kind of nine-week great runs. And then there's a little evolution after that because he's constantly thinking about a new way that makes Joe Brady the star of the show as opposed to what is the best practice mm -hmm. any given week in within the game plan. 
And honestly, if, if this was me running the Bills this week, I'd say let's go and pull out the old Brian Dable playbook. We get guys one-on-one -on, -one on an island. We use James Cook in the passing game more. We have mismatches all over the field against their guys. Let's play one-on-one -on -one football, and I back our guys, three of them at least, to be open on almost any given play. Um, it doesn't have to be so... Uh, you know, they've done really, really cool stuff in the run game. And I think what he's done, is, as I said at the top, being impressive. And I, I do admire that. I just don't think it's necessary for this game. I would shelf that stuff until you're in the mm. playoffs. Well, on the other side of the ball, I talked about um, the Bills being able to replicate some of the things that we saw Baltimore do on offense. I think defensively, that's the goal is to do something similar, right? I mean, it seems like an obvious thing after we just saw the the Ravens obviously beat down uh, Miami, but um, I think that the general and there's like this is a massive oversimplification oversimplification of the game plan, but the general ten thousand foot view. I think I've been using that phrase too often of what Baltimore did and what Buffalo can replicate. I think is get in the windows, take away the middle of the field, force Tua to throw outside. And not saying that that is, many defenses have tried that against uh, Miami, but it is the like very, very basic ABCs of what you do against this offense. And it is something, Ollie, that I kind of think Buffalo can do based on how this defense has been playing. Yeah, I, I mean, this is not... Sean McDermott's traditional defense anymore. I mean, they disguise way more than they ever have done before. They disguise in different ways than they have done before. It's, it's more Spags-like on the back end. They roll and do all kinds of quirky, creative things. I don't know where he like got jolted somewhere and woke up and was like, this would be fun to do for six, seven games this season. The Ravens are the biggest movers, rotators, morphers of any defense in the league up front on the back end. It's like everyone can drop from any position, forwards or backwards. And that is how teams have tried at different points to attack the Dolphins. I think, to your point, that the game plan is the game plan from what the Niners ran when they first got them last season. That's it, period, is that you get a ton of depth in the defense, you pack the middle, like you said, and you dare Tua to throw outside the numbers 15 yards down the field. Um, the Ravens got him doing that. They did not move a whole bunch in the first half last week. And I think part of that is injuries. They couldn't run their traditional defense. No Kyle Hamilton, who's a huge part of that, but it worked. I, I do think that the only issue with that, well, two probably, is that the Bills have been so effective rolling um, in a way that they haven't traditionally yeah. that I think that it would be um, kind of silly to go away from that. And I do think that to run that style, you really do have to have an A++++ linebacker. Um, and that squeezing mm. those windows requires to have one of the true superstars. When you go through the figures, the only way to stop the Dolphins' offense is if you make Tua hold the ball, and he's only holding the ball because he's not able to throw it into that 18-yard intermediate portion of the field, in the middle of the field. Um, and that requires a, a true super-duper star linebacker in coverage. Um, so you can't, I think, just pack it with numbers. You need three or four special plays a game, I think. I wonder if you can use rap that way. Um, so did you see the clip? Or I mean, you saw the play, it happened. Uh, JP Acosta, who's been on the show, posted the clip today and I shared it on my Twitter. But um, what it is of, I can't remember what point, I think it might've been in the third quarter. Anyways, the, the Ravens are in cover three. Geno Stone, safety, is supposed to buzz. He just sits 
in that window. He just stays there and st- and you can see Tua looking at him and he almost wants to throw it anyways. <laughs> but the Ravens are so clearly aware of the landmarks uh, for this Miami offense. Um, anyways, I was watching that. And to your point, a lot of the, the, the muddying of the windows is done by Roquan Smith, who of course, uh, also had that pick, which was a perfect example of that as well. And I like the Bills linebackers. I think they've really outplayed my expectations. Bernard, uh, and Dodson is his name, right? Dodson, Bernard. but I do wonder if maybe this is a game where you do play a little bit more dime. Taylor Rapp has been, I think in this second half of the post Milano, Bills, as McDermott's kind of made the defense weirder and weirder. I think Rap, when he's played, has been good. Um, maybe you use him more in that capacity in the middle of the field. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. Like there will be times when it won't work. And there were times when it didn't work against Baltimore. But I think you're all you're counting on is like maybe on first or second down, if it works once maybe you get a hand on a ball you kind of throw off the whole thing yeah i i think so I, it's it's just so strange to have an offense where they're like this is a the entire game plan is we've built an entire structure that is everyone's close to the line of scrimmage pre-snap then we widen the field and lengthen it post-snap with the route distribution but 18 percent of our targets land on one landmark and they're going to one guy typically it's like, so yeah, to your point, you would just say, well, why don't we just stand someone in that window and hope for the best? That seems like the the easy way, but two is so deceptive with the eyes. And I know he had a ropey game against the Ravens and he stared down a bunch of things against them, but he, he just has such a track record now of being able to get just the slightest yard on someone with the eyes to throw it the other way, which is why I think it requires those A plus blue chippers in there. And so if you get to it, I mean, McDermott is running Tampa to at a crazy high level doing it through all the fun rotations you're describing the the Ravens ran there. They've done it where they have the three safeties, they roll one guy in there. That would be kind of your preeminent way to do it. The thing the Dolphins just have that no one else has is they can get to switch concepts, which kind of obliterates all your rules, and they just can hit it quicker than anyone else because their players are quicker than everyone else. They right? Don't so they, they don't have Waddle. They don't have Waddle. Either, which... They still have Tyreek. It's, it's, I know. It's the only real necessary point to hit that part of the field. I know that... Not all 18% of those targets go to Tyreek, but if you look at it, the target share is like 12%. It's it's still yeah. not Waddle. Waddle is still used as kind of the field stretcher to put a constraint on the defense so they can puncture it in the middle with Tyreek. And there's just no way of working around. If you're switching something and he's got a head start and he's quicker than us, he's still going to hit the landmark before we can descend to it. So you either do have to just stand someone in there or as a bunch of teams have tried to do, is have three guys at the same landmark, essentially, as tight together as you will ever see someone do at the pro level and just pray to a can't fit it in. And as you said, put hands up and try and knock the ball in the air. It's funny, like you, your point about Tua and his ability to look off the players. It's almost like you have to, as defense, believe in the rules of the offense more than your own eyes at <laughs> yeah. time. You know what I mean? Like you're like, okay, I, I you, and you saw this man with the, I mean, that play is a really dramatic one with the, like, there was, I'm sure Gino Stone was like, <laughs> 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 I know I have to be in this exact spot, uh, you know, but like, that's not easier said than done because, um, you know, as a, as a defensive back, you're so accustomed to, like it's, 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 uh, it, it's mental and you're, so you have to actually like, you know, you're reading the quarterback and you're looking to see where the players are and you're trying not to be. And then there's all this motion for the snap, but it's like 
the rules are so significant when you play this offense. Um, and, and to that end, Ollie, like, I don't think Mike McDaniel needs to change anything. I think it'll still work. Um, I will be curious to see if they do run the ball on this bills offense, um, which did get Daquan Jones back and he played a bit in this last week and he should be even healthier next week. They benched Von Miller. Um, so I think now that, that I, I actually don't have the snaps in front of me, but they're they're I actually think that up front, they're probably as good as they've been all season with that front four. And I mentioned, I do like the linebackers. I still think that Miami can run on them with a Chan. Um, and I think, uh, you know, they frankly, they, they were able to actually against Baltimore as well. It's just because the game script, it got out of hand. But I think the Bills, um, with their defensive structure, could have some struggles against this Miami run game. Yeah, it, that's where it gets difficult with the, oh, we'll just sit a safety or, oh, we'll just sit a linebacker in the middle of the field. Oh, really, we need two of them if we don't have a great one. What? Mike McDaniel does in the run game is just like you could write, you know, PhDs about it, maybe even, you know, just fun fan fiction novels as I do in my spare time every once in a while. Um, they are getting to, which is like the meta trend around the NFL right now that I, I bang on about all the time, is getting to two back football without having to have two backs on the field. And no one does it as effectively as Mike McDaniel. They always have an overload in the run game. So it doesn't even really matter if you have great players because he's getting extra hats to where he needs them to be right as the ball is being snapped. He's getting a tight end over there. He's cheating a H-back over there. He's getting receivers in involved. So, And then they've got all the different ways of actually delivering the football. Now it's all behind the back. It's it's impossible. There's wineback blocks. It, there is no way of keeping tabs or everything. And if you would have stood there as a linebacker trying to read the feet and the hat of the lineman to figure out, okay, is it a run? Is it a play action? It's a pass. That is the second to a knee to be able to manipulate you with his eyes to fit it into the window we were describing before. So uh, if they can run the ball, that is what opens up everything else, right? It's not about running the ball for running sake or my day-to-dog friends I always moan to you about on here who's telling me that I uh, you know, bang on about you need to run the football. You're running the football to set up your passing game. What is the most effective way we can get to our passing game is by dictating their rules defensively in play action in the RPO game, in our dropback game, because they are at least thinking about the concept of us running the ball, or we've been able to create an overload somewhere in the numbers that gives us a mismatch. Yeah, it, I think everything we just said about Baltimore, like if, if they hadn't fallen behind and Tua didn't make some of the mistakes he made, I still think if Baltimore-Miami plays again, I think Baltimore wins many times, but I don't think, I think like the... I said this after that Baltimore beat the the Niners too. So I don't want to sound like I'm, I, you know, I think Baltimore's the best team in the NFL. I want to be clear about that. But I do think Miami uh, would be, when the run game is effective, when they're able to do what they want with it and not fall behind, it prevents defenses from playing everything. Everything we were talking about earlier in terms of um, coverage, it allows them to dictate to defenses a bit more. Um, it's, it's it's really good. <laughs> I feel like we don't talk enough. I mean, I, I, you talked a little bit about all of the action and the blocking, and and all their players block well. I was thinking about that watching. Like they they all play. They, I feel like they don't get enough credit for that because we always talk about it vis a vis San Francisco. Obviously, shared DNA, but like everybody blocks pretty well. The wide some of the wide receivers like Wilson, like they're really good blockers. Um, 
And, and, and the I stuff, think the, yeah, stuff that, the stuff they're doing schematic demeanor is like uh, Brian Flores is getting all the love he rightly deserves for true innovation. We discuss innovation all the time. There's actually very few innovations, right? Year to year or even five, six, 10 years. Brian Flores, truly innovative. What Mike McDaniel is doing in the run game, which is running versions of power. So it looks and unfolds to the defense if they drew it up at the point of attack like it was power, but no one is pulling. So that it almost doesn't even make sense because they're getting it from the backfield by putting someone else in the backfield. It's sometimes a second back. It's sometimes a tight end. It's sometimes a wing. It's sometimes a wide receiver. But it is unfurling for them like power. So they're creating three-man surfaces, three over two, a lot of the time at the point of attack without ever having to pull anyone to give the tell. So it's just he is coaching on a completely different level in the run game right now. And if they get that going, that is where everything else flows off because you are now as a linebacker thinking, I I don't know if there's a yeah. puller involved because it's actually a guy, sli it's a tight end slicing across the formation, but it's going to come to me in my defensive rules as power. Okay, I got to try and fit them up. Oh no, wait, it's a play fake. And oh no, we gave Tyreek already. He's got a running head start and is quicker than all of us. And now I've taken a two second delay trying to figure out what's happening in the backfield. That That is why when it's always, when it's synced up, they are in such a rhythm and it's so difficult to defend and it's a 60-yard shot to everyone. That's why if you can throw them off and make two or more predictable, force them to hold the ball, that's the only way you have a chance. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure on those young linebackers who they really have played well this year. Um, but and, and this is what is obviously so unique about Baltimore is that they, they've got one of the two best linebacker duos in football and a, and a genius and Roquan Smith uh, and who's extremely experienced. And this is, this is quite a challenge for them. Um, I, I think like because of the, just to kind of put a bow on it, if Miami wasn't so injured on defense, I don't know where I would be landing with this, especially given some of the inconsistencies and struggles we've seen from this bill's offense, but their injuries are so severe that I lean Buffalo as a result I think Miami's best shot in this one, other than an Allen, you know, YOLO fest, is if the offense can just simply continue to not fall behind, you know, uh, which is entirely, it's totally possible. We just talked about how the linebacker, this will put a lot of stress on the linebacker. And the thing about Miami's defense too is, or offense, is like every time they have a bad game, the next game, they'll just, they just go back to bulldozing defenses <laughs> right now bulldozing is the wrong word it's more like slicing through them so i i actually i really think that they're gonna that we're gonna see a bounce back performance from that side of the ball um from what we saw in baltimore i just don't know if it'll be enough given some of the injuries yeah that is the only thing that is giving me any sense of pause on the bills i just have this thing in my head about allen and the game state and if it's a if you know the Dolphins come out and it's 14 to three at the start of the second quarter. I'm like, oh, he's going to get in his head and try and win this thing with three throws. Does he have the ability to step back and say, hey, I'm playing a bunch of backups and we can yeah. just win this on the final drive of the game. If I had to stay within myself, get the ball to the right person. Is he that kind of guy? Will he take that kind of mini leap? Um, I don't know if I trust that quite yet, but I still think that I, I, def I definitely lean bills, I think. Yeah. All right. Texans, Colts. This one's easy. It's winning in. Um, if the Jags lose, they can either also win the division as well. Uh, the Jags are playing the, the Jags are playing the Titans. Mike Rabel, don't I wouldn't that's not a, look, we're gonna talk about that. I, I should have said in the second half, we're gonna go through um all of the teams that need to win but are not in interesting and fun games. Uh <laughs> and we're gonna talk about like what is the thing that the, the it's basically called uh don't F this up. So uh <laughs> so the Jags will get to that. Um 
with uh with the Texans and Colts though this is this is this is legitimately a good game. I actually as I, at first I was I was like eh, I don't know I'm not that excited to see South, but Ollie as I was doing prep for this and then watching the Colts uh from this past week against the Raiders, I started to talk. For, I came into this thinking Texans have clearly the better quarterback, better football team. But the more I went back and forth on matchups and thought about some of the things that Shane Steichen has done with this Colts offense and then watching them against Las Vegas, I started to talk myself into this being actually like a pretty interesting and potentially close game. Um, Let's start with that offense, actually, because uh, they're coming off of uh, one of their better performances against the Raiders. You got Jonathan Taylor going. In that one, um, it was kind of unusual in that Gardner Minshew has success throwing deep, which has not been the case this year. Uh, they had a, a beautiful play action throw to Alec Pierce, who's basically just a, a go ball guy, which is why he has not existed uh, this season. But he did exist in this game. Um, and that's, to me, kind of where things start for Indianapolis against this Texas defense. They can't defend play action. I would play action the hell out of them. And of course it's Steichen. So we're going to see like 40 RPOs. Um, but I think both of those things are, you know, I, I really, really like this Texans pass rush. I think they're excellent. I think the Colts offensive line is back to being good though. I really think that Shane Steichen can exploit some of the weaknesses we've seen from this back seven. Yeah. I think that the key for them is it goes back to the run game. I'm going to bore people with the run game some more. It's the, it's just the Texans are so bad with three linebackers on the field. And when they don't have three linebackers on the field, they are incredible defensively. Um, they give up a bunch of explosive plays in the back end. I, the linebackers take a ton of heat for that online. I think that is incorrect. The structure of that defense puts them in a basically impossible situation a lot of the time. It's, it's mostly on the safeties in my opinion, but when they have three linebacks on the field, they get completely lost in coverage, and that's how they go up so many plays against play action. They are dead last, I think, in EPA per play with three linebackers on the field. But to get those guys on the field, D'Amico never wants to put three guys out there. He wants to play 4-2-5 the entire time. You have to bully him and say you're going to have to put a third guy on there. So it really comes down to can the Colts' offensive line put a dent in the front? It's that simple, and they've been hot and cold all season. They'll have some weeks where those guys are just driving people off the ball, crazy surge up front, and then some weeks where they just go missing. So if they cannot bully their way to force D'Amico to say, I'm going to have to put a third guy on here, that that play-action stuff gets a little bit more tricky. They uh, So Braden Smith was back against the Raiders in this one, and it made a massive difference, um, especially Max Crosby on the other side of the field. Um, so they're healthy in this game. I really think to your point, they're going to, there's going to be an emphasis on running the football to try to get the Texans in base and then attack them, uh, the ways that I just described. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, the Texans defense I've, I've talked about all season. They're kind of part way there. Like that, you know. I think this is funny. This also doubles as the sort of coach of the year bowl, right? Because both yeah. these guys are front runners for the for it. And um, I think for the Texans defensively, you really see the beginnings of a D'Amico Ryan's defense. They're just missing players. Uh, There's just like a few spots where they still need linebacker is one of them. Um, I think that they have weaknesses that it'll be harder for Indianapolis to attack because we haven't really seen Gardner like. You know, if it was a normal offense, I would say attack them. I'd throw on them deep constantly, but that's just not something we've seen Gardner Minshew do this year. And I think if he tries to do it too much, he's probably going to get picked as he tries to get picked in most games. 
Um, yeah, they're, let's see, 25th in Texans DVOA. Uh, Texans defense, pardon me, is 25th in DVOA. Uh, deep passes, 27th versus number one wide receivers, 28th versus number three wide receivers. Um, it's, they're really, uh, it, it's funny because actually these defenses have a lot of, a lot in common. They're different structurally. They run different styles of defense, but strength wise, they're both much better up front than anywhere else. And I really like this Texans front is really fun. They're really talented. They get after it. Um, so I think for Indianapolis, the question, it really does come down to the offensive line. Can you run block as such to, to what we were talking about, where you're able to sort of, um, force them into the looks you want. And then can you hold up against, you know, Grenard, Will Anderson and company so that Gardner Minshew doesn't make silly mistakes. Yeah, you mentioned the the point earlier of dictating terms in the the Bills game. This is the Colts have to dictate everything on offense in this game. I, I don't think there's a coach probably more uh, demanding to be on time on schedule and have it done the way he wants it to be done than Shane Steichen. It's like this is all part of my grand plan. Just deliver it. Don't worry about it. I've cooked everything up. Just eat the thing. Stop trying to tell me to put salt on it. Um, and Gardner Minshew is not that guy, right? Gardner Minshew is the strangest like. Um, strangest quarterback in the league where he just wants to be off schedule in every single play and then panics as soon as he's left to his own devices. It's the most confusing thing. I've never seen someone panic so consistently who put himself in that situation. Um, so they have to try and figure that partnership out a little bit, I think, uh, where it's like, just get the ball where it needs to be on time. And if it's not there, get rid of it. You want to be a player that you actually are not in the league. Um, so hmm. if they can, because if, if, I mean, if they end up, it's just even a second phase moment in the pass rush, let alone even if there's pressure or it's third and long. Obviously, third and long, there's a big advantage, I think, for that uh, Texans front. But even if it's just within the second phase of the play and we're getting to 2.6 seconds, 2.7 seconds, he just, his brain breaks down. Um, so I, yeah. It's Steichen knows that. I mean, he calls the offense like it. And yeah. he really does. Like, you know, again, I just... Easy play action throws, RPOs. John, it's gonna be a lot of John. John Taylor looks good. I thought. I think he he looks um he looks like his old self right now. And I and I do. I I hear the offensive line has been a little bit up and down. I think I'm comparing them to last year when it was like a train wreck. And yep. this year, I genuinely believe they they look good again. And I think they have games where they look great. I felt like that watching them against the Raiders. Um, and yeah, it probably on that side of the ball, it is probably gonna come down to them and how long, whether whether they uh, block the run well and protect him. On the other side, I do not think the Colts defense matches up well with C.J. Stroud and this Texans offense when they are clicking uh, the way that we have seen them at times click. Um, this is, of course, a Gus Bradley defense that plays a ton of cover three, ton of zone. I think they play the second most uh, cover three in the NFL, fourth most zone generally. CJ Stroud versus cover three, uh, first in yards per dropback, six touchdowns to one interception, second in QBR. Interestingly enough with Stroud, um, there's multiple reasons for this, but his splits versus zone and man are dramatic. And a lot of that has to do with the nature of the offense, the players, a lot of things. But you can throw that out of the window because this Colts defense doesn't really do that. <laughs> they, <laughs> they do what they do. And uh, they are injured on the back end. And Ollie, I just think um, Stroud, especially with Nico Collins back in the mix, 
Uh, Slowick calls an offense that has a long history of beating cover three, and he has a quarterback who is very good at it. I, I feel like the Colts, as good as they are up front, and I really, really like this front, I do think that they will struggle to stop him through the air. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a brutal matchup for the Colts. Uh, yeah, as you said, Bobby Slowick's entire life in football has been designers' plays to attack the certain coverage, and now he's walking into a guy who staunch refuses. You have to admire it. He's yes, made a 25-year career of being like... Yeah, <laughs> this is all we do. And even now in the day and age of even, you know, Belichick, it's like, OK, I'm embracing the sim world and I'm embracing rolling into the coverage. OK, I still want to get to my coverage. Spags is like this. I still want to get to my coverage. That's my baby. But we'll at least get to it in cool and creative ways to try and throw people off the scent. The The Colts disguise rate this season is zero percent. It's like this is what we run. <laughs> what? We just stand where zero? we stand. Zero percent. Zero. Oh, man. They have never once even tried to say, let's disguise this thing. It's like, this is what we run. We have four down linemen. We obliterate people up front. We get some depth on the back end and we hope for the best. And they are great. They are okay. great. And I think that linebackers have been really, really playing far above what would be the expected level. They have one of the most difficult jobs in all football. I mentioned yeah. the Texans earlier. What they What is asked of those guys is borderline unfair given what is going on in the rest of the league right now where people are, have much easier one-dimensional jobs. Those guys have like four responsibilities on every single play that couldn't fill in front of them. They got to figure it out in real time against these offenses. It's just impossible. So yeah, it, it's a really, really tough, tough matchup for them. Uh, Texans can't run the ball. That helps a little bit. Uh, you do you anytime they run the ball, it's usually a win. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're 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 gonna want to incentivize them to run the ball as much as possible. Um, but yeah, it's it's brutal on the back end. So, you know, I talked about the injuries. Blackman is out uh, for the season. Julian Blackman is starting safety. Uh, I thought that, I mean uh, last week against the Raiders, I thought the young players looked good, but that's a very Aiden O'Connell is not C.J. Stroud. Although the Raiders have Monte Adams who, who cook them, the, but uh, it's different. The thing that you would look at if you were the Colts is they's, they've been incredible on third down, mostly because of that front four just crushing people. The Texans have been really bad on third down since the middle of the season. I think they're like 28th in EPA per play on third down. Their third down game plan is pretty off given how like great Slowick has been at calling stuff. He cannot figure out what he wants to do in that world. They are playing from the gun a ton badly. Um, a lot of the time, even throwing the ball, they're pretty average. When they run the ball from the good on third down, they are horrific. I think they're 28th, 29th in EBA per play, uh, running the ball from the good on third down. So we can't quite figure out what he wants to be in that world. And then when it's third and short, he's like, well, then should we go under center? Because we run the ball pretty well from under center on third down, but I don't really want to be there because I want CJ yeah. in the gun. He I just know. cannot marry those two principles together. It's a really good point about the Texans offense. Before the season, I had, um, uh, we, we I talked about, the uh, the Texans with DJ Bienemy in the AFC South. And I asked him, do you think we're going to see CJ Stroud under center or in the gun? And he said, well, in the preseason, we've seen both, you know, just because of the lineage of Slovak offense. And it, it uh, he has been mostly in the gun. And clearly that's where he's comfortable. But the run game is atrocious. So that's something they're going to have to figure out this offseason. I would say it should be like one of their biggest priorities. Um you know, whether it's through free agency, I haven't looked at their cap or whatnot, because it has, I mean, what CJ Stroud has accomplished, despite the fact of having a non-functional run game from the gun in part, it, it's pretty remarkable. I know, uh, I I don't, yeah. It, it's mm. tough because those interior guys play really well when it, it's like yeah. must have it. They create a 
huge surge when they're playing from under center. It's just they cannot align the guys they've they've got on the interior in their skill sets with what they want the offense to be for the quarterback. It's just a difficult thing. And those are young guys inside. They've developed. They've played pretty well. Juicy Scruggs, I didn't think would ever be able to play in the league, frankly. So I hold my hand up. He's been really impressive in certain spots. Still struggles mightily in pass pro. And they've just got this strange dynamic of the skill set of their interior. What they do well does not match up with the offense they want to run right now because of how good the quarterback is, who's just way further along than they ever thought he would be. I think that's what happened there is they were like, we cannot believe we have a top six guy walking around the league on day three. How did that happen? We were, we were planning for this build up over time, run heavy, play action, turn the back, play action, deep shots. This will be fun for a year. These young guys will come along up front. And all of a sudden, like we have a guy who can just pick it apart from the pocket. We got Joe Burrow. How did we do that? Um, <laughs> and so they've lent all the other way. And that's fine. But they just draft, They just built a different interior for what the, the plan was. Do you think uh, the fact that they landed on, like just clearly struggled with the quarterback undermines Ryan's case versus Steichen a little bit because God, he's so much better than Gardner Minshew. I mean, yeah. I was just thinking about like, like, you know, as we think through this game and I want to, and I think the Texans are going to win. I don't think it, I don't, I haven't looked at the spread, but I, I, I do think it could be really close um, just because I do think the Colts can also move the ball on Houston and weird stuff could happen. And I think Steichen's a very good, I think they're both good coaches, but I think Steichen is the kind of coach who I trust to find the edges in a weird game. Um, so I'll start there. I think the Texans are going to win this game. We'll see. I don't think it's, it's not dramatic. However, like I, I, I kind of, and we can wrap here. I, I, I joked about this being the coach of the year bowl, but like kind of feels like the winner takes it. Uh, do you have a preference? And coach of the year to me is so wide open this year. I don't have like strong feel for it. Yeah, you're talking to someone who wrote an impassioned column for some reason about Mike McCarthy like two weeks ago when oh, coach no. the year, and now I feel foolish. <laughs> so I'm not sure picking someone will be. I, no, I posted an apology. I when he, I, I, I feel like every time I uh, try to talk about Mike McCarthy, it's followed by something for <laughs> next week where I'm just like, what do you do? Even this last game, um, the 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 win didn't feel like a win over Detroit literally the week before i was like no you guys don't understand he's actually been really aggressive throwing the ball on first down there's no way he's gonna go run run pass in the and then of course of course in that game he <laughs> i i just yeah whatever that guy and it was funny because my, my, my central thesis was there's real power in kind of stepping back and understanding who you are that he's devolved all this responsibility we all ask what does this guy do every day he doesn't run the offense anymore they, they tried to claim he does but really dak runs the offense he doesn't run the defense dan quinn does and so he's terrible at game management. And I was like, actually, there's real authority in you having such a successful season by saying, I'm not the guy for the job. Dak's better at this at the line of scrimmage than me. Dan's better at that. I'm not just going to like put it on everyone. And then you're watching the Lions game being like, what does this guy do? What is this guy's responsibility for this team? Um, I, I think in the coach bowl, I, I'm kind of in the bag for D'Amico. So I do lean to him. I think Steichen's job and what's being required of him day-to-day -day has been more difficult. He is more involved in what he has to do game plan-wise than D'Amico is, and he's been able to just squeeze whatever is possible out of the offense given the injuries. So um, I would probably lean Steichen, I think. But I just don't like the way we do coach of the year, which is basically us fessing up saying, we didn't think you were going to be as good as you turned out to be. I, it's such a yeah. silly way of doing it. Well, I made a case on Tuesday for John Harbaugh, like just give it to the, the guy who 
coached the best team and <laughs> has made a lot of really good choices with his hires and is a good game manager and navigated a chaotic offseason. But I don't know. It's a, It really is even more than MVP. It's a semantics thing. So it's, it's stupid. I'm not going to pick anyone. All right. Let's come back. Take a break. Oh, I, do you have the Texans as well? I just assume I have that. the Texans. Yeah. All right. Take a break. Quick break. Come back and let's get to don't F this up. No, I'm going to call it taking care of business. Taking care of business. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace, all this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using code OMAHAFULL, and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, keep those winnings. But if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and older only, offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 plus wagers only. Must register with an eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to the account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling one 800 Gambler, that's 1-800-426-2537, or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna zip around. I guess we won't zip. We're gonna bounce around the league. Some of these games that teams need to win for either to get into the playoffs or playoff positioning. Um, we are not going to talk about the Seah- uh, pardon me, the Rams and the Niners because all of these games are games. I, I'm not talking about anything where you have to like figure out the weird motivations and who's playing. I don't, I just, I hate, I hate that. Um, let's start with the Jags because this is winning in. Uh, or they need the Steelers to lose to the Ravens, which Tyler Huntley, I don't know. You know, I don't know about that one. But in uh, division, it's divisional. You never, you never know. Divisional divisional games can get weird even when one team doesn't have reason to win. But anyways, the Jags, it's win and end. You're playing the Titans. You should win this game. If you don't win this game, you should – I don't care if the Steelers lose. You should abdicate your spot in the playoffs. I don't want to <laughs> take you seriously. I don't want to think about you. I don't want to go to Jacksonville for NFL Live. Probably, if that happens, probably that's what's – I'm like probably writing it in the stars. Um, so the premise is just kind of like what's – just like the one one thing that they really need to do – I'll go first in this one. Um, The Jags pass rush should be able to take over this football game. They have been inconsistent. There have been times where they've been awesome. We are coming off of a game where they were awesome. And that is probably why my mind is going there. That last game was CJ Beathard winning. Um, You know, you have finally gotten something out of Trevon Walker. I don't think it's, you know, necessarily number one pick stuff, but he has been disruptive. Josh Allen has been excellent this season. You're going up against a uh, Tennessee Titans offensive line 
that is, uh, well, let's uh, against Houston. Uh, Ryan Tannehill was pressured on 56% of dropbacks. <laughs> Will Levis in limited action before he got hurt was pressured on 57%. I don't care who's playing quarterback behind that offensive line. Both of them are very capable of inviting pressure. And that should be your single biggest advantage in this football game. Yeah, and for the Titans, it's like even Skaronsky, who I loved coming into the draft, people keep talking about how big Bryce looks on the football field. Skaronsky, when he's playing at guard and he's trying to climb off a double team, it's like that is one of the smallest humans playing that position in the league. He is just, it's it's concerning. So yeah, they should, the Jags, pass rush is one of the most frustrating things in the league every time i i, I tweet about this <laughs> once a month where i go through that underlying metric and say how is this not the best group in the league they are within a fraction of the quarterback 50 percent of the time in the game they just cannot close it's just never going to happen they can't close and when they get these games where they kind of juice their counting numbers which is when we're well ahead we'll rack up four five six seven and they try and throw you off the scent for two weeks I, i'm still not buying into it I'll, I'll take it for this game against that titans line but i'm not buying into it beyond that is there anything else that comes to mind that you would prescribe for this Jags well, team to finish the job? Do we know if Lawrence is playing yet? I'm assuming he is. Uh, so that's why I went defense instead of offense. Bethard was, was capable enough, I guess. That that would be the thing. If Bethard has to play and it's Mike Vrabel, and you know Mike Vrabel's speech this week, I would give anything to have a camera in that room. It's going to be about you guys are all fighting for jobs. You know, week 18 is the first week of free agency. Those guys are going to come out with fire in their ears. Um, so they will play. And he's going to be disgusting in this game. There's <laughs> going to be like fake punts. And we, I mean, he, it, this is why I don't like this game. I wouldn't, I wouldn't like this is, you know, it, I, I, I mean, I, I'm going to pick the Jags to win it, but I'm not going to feel great about it. If it is Bethard playing, you'd still take the Jags. Tannehill. Oh, what a gross game. <laughs> Beathard, I thought he was clean. Showed a he little something good. with the legs. Protected the football. Finally ran the ball well. I don't think that they will have similar success against uh, Tennessee, which actually has a good front. I think it's going to be Lawrence. I would be surprised if it's not. And I will take Jacksonville. Ooh. I will take Jacksonville too. Okay, so the Packers, uh, another simple scenario, winning in. Uh, or if a bunch of weird stuff happens, maybe. I don't know. I, I don't. I'm, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Anyways, winning in. It's easy enough. Uh, the Bears have been feisty over the last few weeks. Defense has been playing very well. I'm going to go to the other side of the ball, however, uh, the cursed Packers defense and give <laughs> I've already I've done too many Packers defensive rants. Okay, so my one thing, my one prescription for them or the thing that I think is so important against this uh, resurgent feisty Bears team, a team that is incentivized to win not only because it can be a spoiler, but Justin Fields is very is is a very motivated play. The coach is motivated. Everybody's there is motivated and trying to keep their jobs. So it's yeah. a big game for them. Uh, you really just have to stop DJ Moore. Really, that's it, man. Like I, I mean, you have to stop the run game and Fields on the ground. But I, uh, this blew my mind. I I looked this up because I saw how um, DJ Moore made an impassioned case to keep Justin Fields. I don't know if you saw that. 
this is the, the, the great debate that we are now having in January, even though the draft is <laughs> uh, And I looked up Fields' EPA per play when he targets DJ Moore. It's 0.7. It's only behind CD Lamb, Tyree Kill, and Brandon Ayuk. Whoa. No other Bears receiver has a positive EPA per play. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Cole Komet is, is, has made some catches, but you just got to stop. Now, it's easier said than done. DJ Moore has been amazing this year, and he, he wins in a few different ways. And I don't know if there's anyone on this package defense, frankly, who can do it. Uh, but this has largely been the story of the Paris passing game. If you can stop DJ Moore, you, ha- you have a chance. Yeah, the pa- I just I have no faith in Joe Barry. He'd have to have a brain transplant in time to be able to do this thing. They don't run anything that would be like, hey, we're going to take away a number one guy for the bulk of the game, even though it's the most sensible thing to do. I mean, any other sensible coach would find ways to run some sort of cone, morphing, double team. Hey, we'll just shift that around wherever right. DJ goes. Everywhere we go, we've got three sets of eyes on him. Easy job done. He just will not do that. So I, I just find it very difficult to believe he'll find a way to stop him. You remember the game where Jair Alexander took out Justin Jefferson? But that was a very different player. I mean, that was a different time. Is Jair's, I think his suspension is over. He's he's not who he was. I mean, he's coming back from injury. If he does that, if you put him on DJ Moore, make him captain. That's all I have to say. Um, I think on the other side, the other side of the ball is actually really interesting because this Packers deep offense has been like really, really one of my favorite things to watch in football. And as I mentioned, the, the Bears defense has actually been very sound fundamentally, very good against the run. You have legitimate studs at all three levels now. Um, that's uh, that's a little trickier to me. Yeah, I, I struggle to find a way to say, hey, if we do this one thing, the, the Packers at the moment are – you know, in the middle of such a sizzle that I just don't know what you would say, hey, let's take this one thing away. It's so well-rounded as a unit. They have yeah. someone who can do everything for them. They are protecting unbelievably well. Jordan Love's internal clock is so much quicker than it used to be. He's creating more than he used to. He used to kind of have this illusion of being a creator because of the skill set, but things would go awfully wrong whenever he would try to create. That's kind of ended. I mean, I've never seen a quarterback have as much fun as he had against Brian Flores, which is like, they're going to send the house every play. I'll just launch it into the sky and hope for the best. Backfooted, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's literally what I posted during the game. I was like, he just makes quarterback look so much fun. And yes. that's dumb analysis, but it is just so accurate. How lucky are Packers fans, man? Like <laughs> their ex is like talking about like harebrained conspiracy theories <laughs> and he's out of the picture and their current quarterback is like making and one mixtapes on Sunday night football <laughs> and just like, yay. What a W. <laughs> yeah, it's like you bring your last boyfriend you brought to the Thanksgiving with some red pilled weirdo. <laughs> the next time you bring a Nobel laureate around, the family's like, we can't believe it. She's done it again. No, you bring a normal guy and everybody's like, don't let him go. <laughs> Yeah, I have had friends like that where everybody hated the ex so much. (laughs) Someone just semi-normal. Everyone's like, marry her. (laughs) Anyways, congratulations, Green Bay fans. Even if you don't, I think you're going to win this game. Uh, But even if you don't, which is possible, you should feel good. Uh, but fix, fix the defense. Though. That's 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 gross. Whatever. I'm not going to hit hit on that again. Okay, Dallas will be quick here. Uh, They do. They can clinch the NFC East if they win or if the Eagles lost. Uh, we can just like tap the Eagles too. But 
Um, I was like, what? What did the commanders do? <laughs> I wrote, I just wrote, stop the run? Question mark. I mean, they're probably going to try to run on Dallas. They're slightly better at running than passing. I guess it's Sam Howell. You might run into like one of those weird Sam Howell heater games. <laughs> where you, I, I don't know. What do you got? I, 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 there's really nothing I can come up with in the commander's favor. I think for the Cowboys, it's just explosives. They just got to find a way to generate more explosives. They, they really, they really love to fool people, the Cowboys, by getting fat with a bunch of explosive plays against really awful teams. And then when they play good teams, there's never any semblance of true explosivity in the offense through design, I mean. And when they get Brandon Cooks involved, the numbers are pretty stark. It's like when Brandon Cooks is heavily involved in the offense, they house people. When he's not heavily involved in the offense, things get rickety. Dak starts panicking. Dak starts looking at one area of the field over and over again. People start sitting on it. So I would just like to see them come out with a game plan that would give me more confidence going into the playoffs that this feels like something they could run again against a good group. The problem is they're playing a really terrible group. And so it could just be a misnomer. What is up with the Brandon Cooks usage? Because you're right. The games where he is heavily targeted, the offense looks amazing. And then yet they kind of like disappear him every few weeks. They, they just, they the, the thing is, is that if, when you go through it, I mean, it's, it's usually, hey, when they play bad teams, Brandon Cooks is more involved. That makes sense. They're putting up a bunch of points. This guy's wide open. But it really is that they are just so systematic in how they approach offense. He's the Dak bot. I love him. I, he's like a son of mine to me in my NFL analysis. He's just everything I want in an NFL quarterback but they don't design enough explosive plays. And so yeah. if it's not there organically within the flow of the offense, he's not taking it because that, that's not what his great genius brain tells him to oh. do against the coverage. And people just sit on it when they're playing a good defense. So I, he needs to loosen up a bit um, in terms of playing a good defense in, and getting the ball to Brandon Cook. Except for when he's trying to evade a safety and then <laughs> it's like most incredible deep play of the season. And you're like, why don't you do that? Yeah, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the key. They just have to like put him in five yards uh, out from their own end zone and, and let him cook. Um, okay, Seattle, they need to win and they need the Packers to lose. Uh, and then they they get that seven spot. Um, the win is not guaranteed. They're playing the Arizona Cardinals, who uh, just beat Philadelphia. This one seems pretty clear to me, which is uh, they have to somehow stop the run which they are apparently incapable of doing they were good at in the first half of the season and their run defense has fallen off a cliff for a litany of reasons i will not um use this to harp on that i talked about that a little bit just to talk a little bit more about arizona which quietly has a very nice run game not just against philadelphia they're currently eighth in rushing dvoa but since kyler came back in week 10 they have been first in epa per play running the football uh, they're very good at running from the gun, which we were talking about earlier with Houston cannot, uh, they, they do everything. Seattle cannot stop duos. So I would recommend they call that, but you know, Seattle can't stop a lot of things. Um, yeah, that to me is, I, I, what makes this game not a sure thing at all for Seattle. Yeah, I mean, the Cardinals have really looked into something the final two games of the season. I think they're playing the two most disorganized, confused defenses in the NFL. And the Cardinals offense is a wonderful. I would highly recommend for people in the offseason, go study the Cardinals offense because I don't, I, I'm not sure that they don't know what they're doing, 
but it, it, it is like watching someone just streaming calling the offense or like remember that league where fans could like vote on the play call that was a league for a while right was it's that a thing so weird to watch after the last few watching Kyler Murray in this offense is so strange they just have n- nothing is tied together in the slightest it's just play 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 let's have fun uh, they do move a good amount they do some creative things in the backfield and that's why the the run game has been pretty impressive um a lot of pulling. And this, the the Seahawks I mean, the la- the tackling is just, it's bizarre. And the thing about missed tackles, it, you know, people like to say, oh, these guys are bad tacklers. Missed tackles is a symptom of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's arm tackles. That's why guys run through it. That's how you get the missed tackle. Um, it's guys getting to the collision point slightly late rather than getting there on time or, or be early. They are just so misaligned so consistently. And we are now into week 18. That's not something you will just figure out and correct uh, going into one game. Same issue is happening with the Eagles too, who I know will come on to. So if you can just kind of modulate tempo slightly, get some movement in there, th- those guys have no idea where they're supposed to be once the ball is snapped in coverage and particularly against the run. So it's, I can see the Cardinals really grinding this out and making it really tight. Seems like the Cardinals who now, it's funny because if, if they lose this game, they are firmly out of those top two picks um did you see jonathan gannon was asked about kyler and he i mean this is the team that obviously famously tweeted josh is our guy so uh, you cannot trust anything they say although that was a different regime but he was pretty definitive about keeping kyler i do wonder if he would have been as definitive if they didn't fall out of that top yeah he was Uh, also pretty definitive about not taking the job 48 hours before he took the job so i'm not gonna take jonathan gannon's word all that seriously yeah I, i mean if you could if you could do a kyler tagged onto something you could maybe move up in the draft you know so that i don't think that that there's still been a decent spot in terms of what they want to be afforded i mean if you're just looking at the nfc quarterbacks and you're listing kyler it's like i would also love to go and get drake may i would i would do anything if i was an organization to do that but if you're listing qbs in the nfc this offseason kyler is not going to be that far down unless you would feel semi-competitive if you can nail free agency in the draft kyler murray minnesota viking kyler murray Pittsburgh Steeler, Kyler Murray, Washington Commander. No, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, it'll be an interesting one. Um, oh, actually, I quick plug. Um, I'm gonna. Well, if you're listening to this, you'll probably hear it. I'm gonna do an, a bonus episode on the bad teams and do. We're doing New Year's resolutions for the worst teams, including the Arizona Cardinals. But it, boy, it's it's tricky now with the draft positioning. Um, and I got to think, yeah, this is. It could get a little haywire this last week 18. We're talking about these teams you need to win. The teams on the other side have very complicated incentives going into the final week. So uh, the Arizona Cardinals are one of those teams. Uh, you alluded to the Philadelphia Eagles. We don't spend a lot of time on them. They're, they're playing the New York Giants. Um, I talked about the defense on Tuesday and just what a nightmare it was. Uh, Tyrod Taylor has been a competent quarterback for uh, arguably the best quarterback for the New York Giants this year. Maybe not arguably, maybe obviously. Uh, it's kind of offensive that Tyler sat behind Tommy DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is only uh, in New York. Only the Giants would have persisted with that. Uh, don't let Tyrod throw deep on you. Maybe put it, put a roof on him. Cause he still throws a gorgeous deep ball. You saw that last week. 
this is the huge problem the Eagles have. I mean, I could spend three hours breaking down the issues with the Eagles defense. It is a complete disaster. But what they found themselves now is, and there's so many, it really, really does not matter who's calling the plays. I know everyone wants to bag on Patricia at the moment, but it is so structurally broken. They are now left in a world where if you look at their man zone splits, they're completely thrown off because all of their rules dictate that essentially now they're playing every single snap uh, in man coverage with their safeties 15 yards off the ball. And they are just not good enough to hang 15 yards off the ball in man coverage. And Brian Dayball is, if nothing else, a master of the one-off game plan of saying, I know what an opponent's weakness is. Let me get 10 concepts built to attack that thing. If it goes wrong, then whatever. If it goes well, we got a chance. So uh, just from top to bottom, the Eagles defense is in such a state. And then there's issues on offense too. So they should still win. They should still win comfortably, but I, it might be tied to them, we think. Jalen Hurts versus the Blitz, probably be the other thing you want to highlight in this game, obviously, given the defensive coordinator on the other side of the ball. Um, all right, let's wrap with Falcons and Saints, who play each other. Oh, we skipped. I'm, I don't, let's not even do Bucks Panthers. What's the point? All right. <laughs> uh, Falcons Saints. This is the Bucks Saints game. I'm, I'm skipping it because, wow, it was really quite a letdown game for Tampa. For the Saints, I was watching it just like, man, this is just the ultimate too little, too late game, you know, or just too late, really, because if they had played this way on both sides of the ball the entire season, they would have easily won the division. Now they play a Falcons team that uh, similarly has disappointed fans. If the Bucks lose, this becomes the uh, game for the NFC South. Um, from the Saints' perspective, I mean, play like you did last week offensively, like, Every now and then, Derek Carr, like because he is actually capable of uh, quarterbacking at a, at a decent level, I think will have a game where he's like good under pressure, or he's throwing deep, he's like doing all like it's just enough, you know. Yeah, and it's always suspiciously towards the end of the season when teams <laughs> are making decisions on contracts and trades. Yeah, he does that. Uh, he played really well, but he, he hasn't this year uh but if he plays that way against atlanta they'll probably win you know i think um yeah I, the pass rush suddenly showed up that was bizarre Tampa. that was completely that was out of nowhere yeah, they have by far the worst four-man rush in the league out of oh, nowhere and then all of a sudden They're they were just, just going crazy people. yeah crazy there was a deep shot to Taysom hill it's i don't know that game was completely in the metaverse it was, it was in a different reality i'm not even sure that really happened so I, this this division is so infuriating because that was like okay Tampa you've taken hold of it I you're you're doing stuff you got good good players on defense still Baker Mayfield's playing some of his best football oh god a stinker and now I'm just again like I don't know uh for the Falcons <laughs> uh I guess similarly um I mean they should be able to run the ball in New Orleans uh, what do you think. <laughs> I am, the Falcons I, are the most disappointing team in the league. Are they far. more disappointing? Are they more disappointing than the Saints? Because the Saints really should have won this division. I never believed in the, in the Derek Carr experience <laughs> in New Orleans. I, I thought that the Falcons, they were going to be this newfangled offense. We're changing football. I just didn't never presented anything defensively. I thought they'd be much better. Now, their, their game plan last week against the Bears was like a fireable game plan. It was it was completely as, as if they hadn't scouted Justin Fields in the history of the staff, which I know is wrong because Nielsen is a good coach. So 
uh, and he does know the Saints really well, actually. So um, maybe there's there's something in that. And uh, this is just this is the least exciting of, of all the games. Even some of the other ones you mentioned earlier get me a little bit more fired up than this one. Well, you know, actually, on the flip side, we talked about how uh, Colts Texans was the coach of the year bowl. This might be the one guy leaves town bowl with these coaches. Now that I think about it, maybe both guys leave town, but they, they both, I, I have to think whoever loses this game uh, is really going to be under the microscope job wise. Do you think either of these coaches should be back next season? Arthur Smith, Dennis Allen. I could make a case for Dennis Allen. The offense has been broken. I still think he's a quality defensive mind. I think he can lead an organization, though. I know that's been thrown at him all throughout his career. This is a defensive guy, not not a leader guy. I think if you gave him a kind of young, hotshot OC, possibly, but there's just no way for them to reboot. So if you're calling around now saying, hey, who can we get? Hey, Ben Johnson, how's it going? He is hanging up immediately on the Saints. No one wants to be involved in that cap sheet. No one wants to be involved in that roster. You may as well ride it into the ground with Dennis for another year if he's interested in hanging around with it. The Falcons, Arthur Smith, there is absolutely no chance he should be allowed back near the building, frankly. Even the state we could consider if he wants to. What Those young players are good. Those young yeah. players are good. And he has concocted the most constipated offense in the NFL while being incredibly arrogant about how constipated the offense is. Um, yeah, that, that would be the, the change I would make of those two. It is. I mean, I've, it is really infuriating, and it, it the arrogance, like the at the beginning of the year into the off season when he would say, "Oh, you know, fantasy football," and you wanted me to throw to the, you know, there there was a, you know, uh, it wasn't entirely out of pocket, but by mid season, it was fully out of pocket. It was in the closet. Like I, I, I mean, I just. Yeah, it's, it's I, not I even just like the dev devolution of this offense. Is... It's not even if it's just like, oh, we want you to run the, the Dolphins offense and all this movement and crazy stuff in the passing game. It's like at least you have a really springy athletic line. You've got this once in a lifetime running back. You're supposed to be the running game guru. So there should be something really cool and unique every week. We can see on film that presents new and different obstacles for the defense. And there's just nothing. They run the same stuff every single week. It regularly doesn't work. And he just bangs his head against the wall. I don't know why I went from the pocket to the closet. I was thinking of like, what's the furthest thing you could be from out of pocket? Anyways, there's, yeah. Um, okay. Well, I'm not a fan either. So I do think that it is a, an intriguing job though. Because oh, that I is the job that I would be running towards. To get yeah. those pieces, you have an owner who will give you everything. You've got a really winnable division. It's a winnable conference. That's the one I would run towards if I was a coach. With quarterback candidate. Justin Fields leading the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ollie, tell people where they can check out your work. There's a lot of places, I believe. Yeah, they can find me on The Guardian, theguardian.com. I believe your mom called that the New York Times of Europe, which is a wonderful <laughs> review. We should hang around the office, I think. Um, and then uh, the nerdy football analysis on the read optional on Substack. And you pod with uh, John Ledyard, who has John been Ledyard. on the show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah. it when he talks about the Bucks. He's so disappointed. Like, win the division. The life drain from his eyes. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thank you as always for joining me and educating everyone. Thank you also to the fine folks at Omaha, Kirsten Sebecki, Owen Saylor, Anthony Jimenez for helping me put this out every week. As I mentioned, there will be a bonus pod. It'll probably come out on Friday morning. 
um, yeah, so if you root for a bad team, you have something to look forward to. Otherwise, uh, we'll be back next week with Dominique Foxworth after that and uh, previewing the playoffs. Let's go. All right.